Feels like a long time since I've done this. I don't feel nervous again. I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> think I've ever been on one and not opened it. So this is new. Well, this is your chance because you're the best of any of us. So it's <laughs> no experience for me. Welcome to an episode of uh, Keeping It Independent, a podcast brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. My name is Jared Goplin. I'm an agronomy manager here with Wiffles, covering the northern parts of Iowa and Minnesota, eastern South Dakota, and I'm here with my counterpart covering eastern Iowa and southern Iowa, uh, Eric Wilson. Uh, we're going to give uh, kind of a little bit of a fall recap, I guess. We're going to kind of wrap up some things that we've uh, been observing late in the growing season uh, related with to some you know, uh, crown rot type issues that we've seen uh, in certain areas. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more on what kind of weather patterns and things that feed into why we might be seeing some of those things. Uh, as well as uh, then kind of what are the next decisions you, you start to make, whether it be fertility, uh, thinking ahead to next year and uh, and those types of things. So, Eric, I guess we have the luxury today of uh, we get to, to say whatever we want to about the Illinois boys. So I don't know. What do you what Yeah, you representing Iowa today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we won't bash on Illinois too hard. Uh, I am pretty close to them. But, uh, yeah, I would say as a late Goplin, we're getting you know a lot of calls on stock integrity, um, things going down being later in the harvest season. Uh, to some extent, we get a lot of those phone calls every year, but I do think there's a few things to call out this year, in particular with crown rot. We pulled up a GDU accumulation map or growing degree day, uh, looking at it percent of average for the corn belt. And for the regions that we you know, actively market in, um, including Illinois, I'm not going to exclude them, uh, we're anywhere from, you know, I would say pretty average 110% uh, above normal for heat unit accumulation. If we if we pick like an early April uh, planning date, taking it up to uh, yesterday, I think is where we where we cut it off. So at least a hundred and five to one hundred and ten percent above normal for a heat unit accumulation. And then I know if we get into, uh, I'll say some of the more fringe areas on the borders of uh, Iowa, like one in in particular, I'll call out Northeast Iowa. They're sitting at almost one hundred and twenty percent. Uh, and I know up there in, in Southwest Minnesota, Southeast South Dakota, you're sitting closer to uh, 120% in some cases. So, you know, what that tells us is uh, the weather has been pushing this crop along all season, especially in some of those drier areas. Uh, and then with the, you know, premature death or running out of water in, in a lot of places, the stock integrity has gone very, very quickly because we, we have had some late season moisture and we've had plenty of heat and and that essentially just puts everything into overdrive, right? Those microbes go to work uh, more than twice as fast as they normally would. So that that would be call out number one, Goplin. Uh, I guess I would say anything to add on on what you're seeing, you know, uh, GDU accumulation in, in your neck of the woods? Yeah, I'd say we, we kind of bookended the growing season with above normal temperatures. So we started out, um, you know, in May, we got the crop in the ground and then we had really, really warm temperatures early, uh, you know, so May, early June. Uh, and we really were kind of a, out to the races, I guess, right from the get-go. We we're more or less average, I would say, across across kind of the areas I cover throughout the growing season. And then, and we did have a, a pretty warm fall as well. So we are are way ahead on on normal for GDUs. And basically, what that means is the crop black layered a lot earlier than normal, I guess. Um, you know, and it dried down in a lot of areas. It did dry down fairly quickly. Harvest occurred, I would say, on the earlier side side by and large. Um, you know, and it was stressed throughout parts of the growing season. So, you know, you had some of those cannibalization issues. We talked about some of that earlier on previous episodes of the podcast. Um, but some of the observations now late in the season that, you know, typically I don't see 
uh, is that, you know, the crops have been mature, have basically been uh, dead for, for a long time. And that soil has still been warm enough up until very recently where microbes are going to town. Um, you know, so you start pulling out roots and I mean, there's a, there's a quite a bit of, of uh, degradation that's already been occurring, uh, or, or residue even for that matter, you know, you just, uh, you know, doing tillage, some of the stuff that maybe tillage wasn't done until very recently, um, you know, on corn that was harvested maybe mid September. I mean, there's a lot of that residue is broken down. And, uh, by the time you go through with any type of tillage, it, it looks pretty black out there compared to a field that was maybe, uh, you know, harvested and then worked in right away, I guess, with tillage. So um, there's a lot more uh, breakdown, I guess, that uh, that probably has occurred here. Uh, and then any of the corn that's standing yet has had to endure that. So, you know, I think this is uh, it's pretty obvious at this point, you know, if you got corn left standing that we need to get that out there. But uh, it has been a, an unusual year with the amount of, uh, I guess, length of growing season that we've that we've actually endured up in the northern parts. So back to that book and comment, Jared, um, you know, for my regions, especially some of the ones where I'm seeing more incidents of crown rot and and then the follow up, you know, fusarium stock rot or, or gibberella, whatever stock rot we're seeing. I would say fusarium being the most common, uh, we were pretty cool early season. If we go back and we look at that weather data on especially some of those early April planting dates, um, we were we were quite cool during that period. We had a lot of fluctuation in, in nighttime and daytime temperature. We had some warm periods and then they would cool back down. And with that, we did have, I wouldn't say we were saturated or overly wet, but there was, there was definitely moisture out there. Um, and that set us up, you know, that that's the precedings for a situation where we get that crown rot infection early in the season. Uh, and the crown rot is, you know, that leads to uh, further opportunity for stock rots coming later in the season. And, and when we tend to see the most amount of crown rot and stock rot following is when we have those cool, wet conditions early, followed by, uh, a hot, dry, stressful type of environment the rest of the growing season, which that fit the bill, you know, very nicely for, I would say, the majority of Iowa. Um, now, that being said, there, there's, you know, in a lot of those situations, the corn yields are very, very good, but uh, the stocks are just not holding up. And, and if you compound that with the extra heat units that we've had kind of here at the end of the season, uh, the heat, some moisture coming in, things just, things are not holding up. I, I've told a lot of guys, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I said, look, I know it's, I know it's the middle of October, uh, but the, the corn plant does not follow a calendar. They don't know how to tell time. Uh, they base everything off of heat units. And I said, as far as that corn plant is concerned or that corn crop in the field, uh, it thinks it's the middle of November. So now that we're, now that we're very close to the beginning of November, just a, a day away, um, it, it's definitely later than we anticipate. And that that's also been evident kind of by what you mentioned earlier, you know, some of those areas, the quick dry down, uh, there was a lot of guys that were combining some 13, 14% corn. So it had been dead and, and mature for a while with that environment working on it. Yeah. I mean, if you got corn standing out there, get it, get it picked as soon as you can. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's thinks it's a lot later than it, than it is, I guess. Um, moral right. story. The other thing, I guess, Eric, you know, we, and we've spent a lot of time last, uh, really last week and this week uh, already um, talking about kind of what, you know, how did the growing season go kind of reflecting back on, you know, things that we've seen and, and putting together some of our materials, I guess, for, for the winter season, basically. And one of them, I guess, that is, has come up is really soil fertility and, and kind of field histories and, and all these things that feed into how a crop might have performed 
in, in a dry year or a stressful environment. So one of the topics, I guess, and this is getting into the weeds a little bit is on, uh, you know, soil testing, you know, once you get out there, um, you know, get the crop harvested, whether it's corn or soybeans, whatever your rotation might be, get some of those soil sam- samples pulled. And uh, one of the topics that came up that we'll, I think, touch on a little bit here today is, um, you know, how, um, you know, you almost have to put these uh, soil test results and, and really anything from a year like this through the weather lens. So you really have to reflect back and, and kind of do what we've done is, is, is think about how this growing season has gone. Um, you know, and, and just to kind of tackle this soil testing question, Eric, you're our, uh, you're our ex- expert on soil fertility. So I guess we'll kind of kick it over to you, but so I, you want to, want to touch on some of that, I guess, to kick us off. Yeah. Again, I don't, I don't know how I got voluntold for this nomination, but, uh, soil tests, no doubt, uh, spring samples, especially when we're talking about in particular potash or K2O, uh, spring samples or spring sampling will almost always read higher compared to a fall sampling. There's no reason you can't do a fall sample. You can do either sampling uh, regiment correctly. But like you said, Jared, you got to look through these things with uh, the lens of the year that you've been up against, right? Um, After maturity of a crop, it takes a certain amount of time for those nutrients to kind of break down and leach out back into that soil profile so they can be available to actually show up in that soil test. On a dry year, uh, if you don't have that rainfall or you don't have that breakdown, that can kind of skew your soil test results a little bit. And I would I would say in particular, being dry is the year we watch out for, right? Because uh, they can they can move your K2O or your potassium soil test results off by a percentage. I don't remember what the exact statistic is, but I I want to say it was anywhere. Uh, five to maybe 10% off in the fall. If you got a soil, a dry soil environment and you're trying to test that, uh, which sounds like a lot, but if you, you know, just as an example, if you say you've got a soil test result at 200 part per million, uh, on the low side, 5% of that is 10 part per million. So if you're going by the buckets or the categories, right? Very low, low, optimum, high, uh, those buckets, so to speak, have a very wide range. You know, some of them 20 to, to 40 part per million, depending on uh, what land grant university you're using to, to make those recommendations on. So yes, they can be off. Uh, but oftentimes what I've seen is that that doesn't necessarily move you into or out of whatever bucket you're in, be it optimum or low or high. And I, I would say on those very dry years, it it is typically better to try and get a little moisture. Uh, like you said, you know, the comment you made earlier about root degradation uh, with the extra heat, some of the moisture that we've had at the end of the season, like you said, some of those early soil tests might be off or misrepresenting what's actually out there compared to something that gets sampled a little later in the fall that's had some moisture, that's had more time for those roots to break down and cycle those nutrients back into the soil. So probably no wrong way to do it, but all things that you need to be mindful of going into or coming, I should say, coming off of the year that a lot of of us have seen with the dry weather. Uh, You know, and on top of that too, drier weather, lower yields, a lot of times you don't remove as much nutrient in those situations as well. So I have seen it where some guys have been surprised about what they have left over out there. Uh, in terms of P and K when coming off a drier year in particular. Yeah. I mean, you know, and putting together some of our review materials for the year, um, you know, one of the slides I guess we'll utilize probably later this winter talks about the amount of potassium that a corn plant needs to take up throughout the growing season. 
um i don't know eric should i quiz you do you remember it the was number? really big like four four hundred and eighty <laughs> pounds of k2 is that sound right or 380 yeah yep about 470 yeah. pounds of potash um or 280 pounds of k2o now the interesting part of that is if you actually look at like kind of average crop removal with grain if you're only removing the grain that's it's less than a quarter of that uh, it's only about 40, 40 40 to 50 pounds of k2o removed in the grain on a tour 200 bushel corn crop that is um, you know, so the vast majority of that is in the residue right. and, you know, assuming you're not chopping silage or, or taking that residue, uh, you know, as bedding a stover, uh, bailing that as stover that, that will leach out. Uh, and I guess one of the in- interesting things, you know, I had found is uh, Iowa state had done some work, uh, over the years looking at how, well, how quickly does that actually leach out? It's, it's actually pretty darn quickly. Um, you know, so for like corn, um, you know, over, uh, 45 pounds of that. So it's, uh, what, probably a third, uh, actually over a third of the total, is going to be leached out of it by the time you get to really late fall, early Dece- basically December time frame. Um, so it doesn't leach out pretty quickly, but it's going to depend on the rain, right? Um, you know, so if we get some rain during this time period, which we have late, um, you know, we have probably leached a fair amount of that out compared to some of the stuff that was maybe combined right away uh, and sampled right after it was harvested, uh, per se, you know, where the soil was still dry. So, uh, you know, I think it would have been a really interesting year if we would have actually went out and taken uh, repeated soil t- uh, tests in the same field. Cause I think you probably would have seen some things change. Especially over some of those early samples, Jared, you know, it, you know, you stick the probe in the ground. Um, a lot of that top, very dry stuff, it, it can actually fall out or fall off of that sample too. And, and early in the season before you've had that, that rainfall to move things through, uh, you, you might be missed, missing the majority of your nutrients there on, on some of the top, that very top inch or top half inch layer. But uh, like you said, it it does happen pretty quick once you get a little bit of rainfall and you and you don't need much. I, I know it's less than an inch and you actually uh, leach the majority of those nutrients out of the stalks, especially potassium, because um, it, it, it just moves pretty quickly. So the other uh, soil fertility, I guess, conversation we've, uh, I guess, made reference to in some previous podcast episodes are really fall nitrogen applications. So if you're in a situation where uh, you might be putting on fall anhydrous uh, or manure for that matter, obviously we like to wait until the soil temps cool down, you know, preferably sub 50 degrees. But frankly, there's some microbial activity, you know, even down till about freezing. So, you know, the ideal target is to, you know, wait until just before the soil freezes up to put these things on. Uh, but really the real reality of it is if, if we wait till the soil temps are below 50, um, you know, odds are in our favor. And uh, Eric, I know you've pulled some soil temp uh, maps, I guess, to see where yep. we're at and, and some forecasts. And it looks like we're probably getting into that window where uh, we could probably get some of these applications done. Yeah. As of yesterday, the four inch soil temp uh, just for the state of Iowa. And I have a feeling it's very similar when you, you get outside of that, especially on the borders. But uh, everything's below 50 degrees. Um, you know, they've have a lot of, uh, counties sitting at 49, 47, 46. If you get up into, uh, Northwest Iowa by you, Jared, you know, 41, 42. Uh, so no doubt we're getting into that window where anhydrous should go on fairly nicely. Uh, we've got some moisture back in the soil and that's important too, for getting those uh, slots sealed back up so that we can hold that nitrogen. And it's not just coming right back out as, as fast as we're putting it on. So yeah, I, I would anticipate we're probably going to see some more guys going and, and putting on some fall anhydrous here in, in the next week or so. If we wait till it freezes, we won't get anything done, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah, It's tough to get a shank in the ground yeah. when the ground is hard. 50, 50 degrees and trending <laughs> downward, that's that's pretty good recipe for uh, ideal, ideal fall anhydrous application. So 
Uh, I think we'll see a lot of guys doing that here in the near future. And and, and on top of that, the forecast looks like it's going to remain cooler. Uh, I know down here by me next weekend, I think the high is supposed to be 59 or 60. Uh, and then after that, it's, it's going to uh, cool right back off down into, I think, 50 for a high for the next week. Uh, it, it makes me a little depressed to see all the clouds outside, but it, it looks like cloudy weather for the extended forecast. So uh, you're not going to be picking up a lot of solar radiation or or uh, heat from the sun, uh, even on some of those fields that have been worked already. So I think that's our stamp of approval. You can get these uh, fall fall applications. Yeah, done that, now. that's a that's a big <laughs> stamp for me if I'm given approval for fall anhydrous. <laughs> but uh, I don't think we got anything else, do we, Jared? Any any topics we missed? Nope, I think that probably covers it for today. So we'll call that a wrap for today's episode. Uh, if you have any feedback, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, of course, we do have uh, an email address, agronomy at wiffles.com. You can certainly send in any questions that you'd like us to cover uh, there or any feedback you have. Of course, you can always text uh, text the text line uh, if you're getting text messages uh, from us as well. Um, and then, yeah, if you have any topics you want to hear us cover this winter, I guess this is kind of a call for that, too, where we might have a little more time to uh, go into some you know, things we might not have time or had uh, been able to cover this summer. So, yeah, let us know. And uh, with that, thanks for listening and stay safe out there. Thanks, guys. Thanks.